welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. As his Supreme Court confirmation remains in jeopardy, a defiant and at times emotional Brett Kavanaugh addressed sexual assault allegations in an interview on Fox News last night. Sitting next to his wife, Kavanaugh said he wouldn't let what he called false accusations drive him away from the process. We're looking for a fair process where I can be heard and defend the my integrity, my lifelong record, my lifelong record of promoting dignity and equality for women, starting with the the women who knew me when I was 14 years old. I'm not going anywhere. Joining me is Neil Kinkoff, a professor at Georgia State University Law School. Neil, this is unprecedented for a Supreme Court nominee or even a federal appellate court judge. It seems more akin to what a politician might do before an election. How does this fit in with the esteem projected by the justices on our nation's highest court? Yeah, I can't help but sort of picture the rest of the justices actually just cringing over this because they really closely guard and highly value their privacy and the sort of being the the proverbial man behind the curtain, right? They they issue the opinions and their their private lives are entirely that private and really they're not known to the public. Um, they don't seek to have a public or political profile. Um, and so this this really sort of upsets that in a way that I think has got to make them all quite uncomfortable. What is the strategy behind this as far as you can see? What advantage would it give him over testifying on Thursday? Well, I think he's trying to, um, <clears throat> first of all, make himself look sympathetic um, to sort of, you know, prepare the audience for Thursday. So to create first impressions that that can then help color how people view the hearings on Thursday. Um, I also think it serves as kind of a trial run, um, which is helpful because, boy, it's going to be high stakes and and nerve-wracking on Thursday. And best to sort of get your your positions out there and practice articulating them in front of a friendly audience. And they uh, don't come any friendlier than Fox News. He avoided the most difficult questions, as he did in his confirmation hearings, over and over. So what do you expect on Thursday? More avoidance, or may the Democratic senators really nail him down? Well, right, so his strategy will be avoidance, right? That was his strategy throughout the, throughout the, um, the hearings, and uh, it was a strategy last night, and it'll continue to be a strategy on Thursday, I'm sure. And the Democratic senators are going to try to pin him down, um, and I think that's, that's the game right there. The justices, particularly the Chief Justice, John Roberts, say over and over again that the Supreme Court is not a partisan institution. You hear that in so many speeches. Does this interview and this confirmation process belie that assertion? Well, I I don't think it it undermines the claim that the court is not partisan. Um, But that's different from the claim that it's not political. Right. And certainly the justices have very strong commitments um, to constitutional principles that themselves link up to 
political agendas. And so while I don't think the justices vote based on Democrat versus Republican, um, it's not at all surprising that the conservative justices adhere to conservative values and the progressive justices to progressive ones. Um, and, and so this kind of pulling back the curtain tends to expose that to the public in a way that justices like Justice Roberts really prefer to keep hidden. Only one Supreme Court justice has been impeached in our nation's history, Samuel Chase, in 1804, although he was not removed from his seat by the Senate. Senate acquitted him. Now, Democratic Senator Sheldon Whitehouse has suggested that if Democrats win in November, they'll look into the accusations leveled against Kavanaugh if he is, in fact, confirmed. What what would that look like? Well, sure. So that... I, mean, I I don't see how that could work. Uh, frankly, um, it could you could hold hearings in in the House, and the House could even drop articles of impeachment and pass them if there's a Democratic majority, I suppose. But in order to win a conviction and removal from office, that requires a two-thirds vote in the Senate, and that's just not going to happen. Well, Abe Fortas went through the beginnings of, of this, and he resigned from the Supreme Court. That's true. Um, he was nominated, while he was uh, an associate justice, he was nominated to be the chief justice, and, and some significant allegations of improprieties while on the bench um, um, were raised to the point where he lost bipartisan support. Um, he was eventually given. He was eventually given a vote, which he lost. Um, but you know, the, so it is possible that a sitting justice who engages in really significant impropriety um, can be impeached and removed from office. But it would be really remarkable for that impropriety to be from the the period we're talking about with respect to Judge Kavanaugh. Right. So Justice Fortas was Justice Fortas when he when he engaged in the, the, the problematic behavior. He wasn't a high school student or college student for this. Now, um, let's t- just talk about the idea of a lifetime appointment and whether this leads to questioning whether that's a wise thing. There are a lot of reasons to question whether lifetime appointments are a wise thing. At the time of the framing, a lifetime appointment was uh, was effectively about a 20-year deal. Um, Chief Justice John Marshall outlasted that by a little bit, but for the most part, and for the most of the nation's history, the average tenure on the Supreme Court was around 20 years. But the recent trend has been to appoint younger and younger justices so they can serve longer and longer, and I don't think that helps institutionally with the court. So there are some really serious um, um, people who've suggested term limits, like 20-year terms, um, rather than lifetime tenure, which I think gets closer to the original design that the framers had in mind. So what's your take on whether or not Kavanaugh will be confirmed? Do you have an idea right now of what's going to happen? Oh, I, I think it's hanging by a thread at this point. The allegations are quite credible. When, when last we spoke, um, Dr. Blasey Ford had not yet come forward, had not issued her name. The, the allegations had gotten out, but she said she didn't want to come forward. She didn't want her name to be known. We didn't know her name at that point, um, and she didn't want to testify. But now that she's come forward 
that others have come forward. Um, I, the, the, the nomination is in critical shape, and um, I, I, think, I think Kavanaugh is going to have to pull off a masterful performance on Thursday to survive this. All right, we will be watching. Thanks so much, Neil. That's Neil Kinkoff. He's a professor at Georgia State University Law School. The future of Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein remains uncertain amid reports that he was either fired or offered his resignation. We'll get more clarity on Thursday when Rosenstein meets with President Trump. Press Secretary Sarah Sanders discussed the situation on Good Morning America today. They had an extended conversation and decided to continue it, and they're going to do that on Thursday. And both agreed that it was best to have a conversation like that in person, and that's what they're going to do in two days. Joining me is Jimmy Garule, professor at Notre Dame Law School. Jimmy, Trump's main concern with Rosenstein, as expressed, is over the Mueller investigation. What happens if that is what Trump wants to discuss with Rosenstein? What can Rosenstein tell him? Well, again, I think it would be inappropriate for the president to engage in any conversation with the deputy attorney general regarding a pending investigation, criminal investigation, and in particular, a criminal investigation that is targeting uh, members of the Trump campaign and perhaps even the president himself. So he should just refrain from uh, getting any det- into any details about the investigation whatsoever. That doesn't leave much. Because that's what that's what, you know, that seems to be where he's been aiming his tweets and his comments. Well, again, I I think the the, the concern is is even more more broader than 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 that. I think that that he wants to remove uh, Rosenstein from overseeing the Mueller investigation. And that's a means to an end. The, the ultimate end is to have the investigation terminated. And I think that would require the firing of Mueller. And right now, Rosenstein, Rosenstein stands in the way of that happening. Let's discuss the difference between what could happen if Rosenstein resigns and if he's fired, legally as well as politically. Because if he resigns, Trump can replace him with another Senate-approved confirmee but what happens if he is fired? Yeah, if he's fired, that's going to add some um, some fuel to the fire, so to speak, to the obstruction of justice uh, claim. Uh, that would then be the uh, second major Department of Justice official that's been fired by the president who is connected in a very direct way to the Mueller investigation. And of course, I'm referring to former uh, FBI Director James Comey, who was fired in uh, you know, last year in 2017. So that would strengthen, I think, the obstruction of justice uh, uh, argument uh, that is being investigated by, by Mueller. How is... Let's talk about what Mueller's doing. Do you see signs that he has preserved his investigation in various ways so that if something does happen to him, the investigation can proceed or at least the evidence that they've gathered? I think absolutely uh, yes. Uh, with respect to individuals that have agreed to to cooperate in the Mueller investigation, there are quite a number, including most recently Paul Manafort, the uh, the chairman of the 2016 Trump presidential campaign. I, I'm certain that with respect to those cooperating individuals, what they know about the uh, that's relevant to the investigation has been codified either in grand jury testimony, uh, again under oath. 
or in uh, police uh, FBI reports. Again, that uh, that uh, again, it's a it's a felony to lie to the FBI. So what they know, their knowledge has been reduced to grand jury transcripts or, or FBI reports. So it's codified in in that manner. So what would be the greatest danger, forgetting politically, what would be the greatest danger to the Mueller investigation if Rosenstein is either fired or resigns? Well, assuming that, that, that it's not complete or perhaps not even near completion, uh, the person that, that replaces Rosenstein then would be in a position to conceivably fire Mueller or slow the investigation down or with respect to recommendations made by Mueller uh, involving the ongoing investigation the person the, the new deputy attorney general could could deny those requests and and in that effort slow down the investigation for the benefit uh, of of the president so it has some potential far-sweeping consequences in in a negative way with respect to the pending investigation. You know, we forget that Rosenstein has other things to do in his job besides supervise the Mueller investigation and, uh, you know, discuss uh, discuss things with President Trump. And he has, his service has spanned three different presidents. Tell us about his job outside of the Mueller investigation, how high profile and intense it is. Well, he's basically the the deputy attorney general is basically the uh, the chief operating officer for the Department of Justice, and so he's responsible or she's responsible for overseeing the day to day operations of the Department of Justice, and that includes the the uh, efforts of the investigations of the FBI, the DEA, uh, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. He's engaged in overseeing virtually every high profile criminal investigation that's being conducted by a, a, a DOJ, federal law enforcement agency. And so, again, the, the Mueller investigation, while important and certainly a priority, it, it's one of many uh, priorities that, are, uh, that the uh, Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein is overseeing. Will Rosenstein still have a job on Thursday, and what about after the midterms? Uh, I, I think it's I think it's highly unlikely. I, I think that, that that his days are are certainly numbered, and I certainly would not be surprised to learn on Thursday that he has submitted his resignation to President Trump, and President Trump has accepted it. Now, what's interesting after that is what happens next, and so is the president going to uh, move another Senate confirmed appointee? into that position, and who is that likely to be? And I think that the greatest concern, and perhaps why the president is most conflicted, is that is that decision, is that going to be, uh, is that going to consume all of the media's attention over the next several weeks leading up to the midterm elections? And I'm sure the president doesn't want that. He doesn't want the Mueller investigation to be the lead story every day over the next five weeks. But instead, he'd want the confirmation of Kavanaugh, assuming it happens, and tax Thank cuts you. and other issues. I have to leave it there, Jimmy. That's Jimmy Garule, Notre Dame Law School professor. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.